Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. On the phone, we have one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. He took not one but two teams to Super Bowls. Dick Vermeil, how you doing, Coach? I'm doing fine, thank you. I'm undefeated this year. Maybe you could take over this Bears job here. Oh, I'm too old, but I wish I was young enough to do it. I think you have a good coach here. I've known him for a while and respected what he's done. He's having troubles there right now, but all coaches go through problems from time to time. Another coach wants to get back into coaching. He's older than you, uh, Marv Levy. He mentioned to me last year. Oh, really? <laughs> Marvin, well, God bless him. He's a great coach already in the Hall of Fame. Not much more you can do. I think he wants to be the oldest coach in NFL history. Well, you know, he would probably do it. <laughs> How did you end up getting the coaching? Well, you know, I, I loved high school football. I had a high school coach that sort of inspired me to start thinking about going to school, and because I wasn't doing that originally. And uh, I got into playing. I went to junior college, caught up academically, and played a little football. I went to San Jose State and ended up playing there and uh, decided to be a high school football coach. And uh, I just never turned down a job after that. When did you realize that you could coach in the NFL? Well, I don't know if I ever realized it, <laughs> but uh, I know at first it was sort of overwhelming to become a head coach. You know, I was fortunate that I had the opportunity to work at the Los Angeles Rams with George Allen, uh, Tommy Prothrow, and then Chuck Knox. And uh, uh, after working with those three people as an assistant coach, I, I think they inspired me to think bigger, think about one day maybe the opportunity would present itself. And uh and I especially identified with Chuck Knox and his type of personality and his sincerity and his intensity. Uh, uh, I sort of said, you know, I would like to be like him, and I'd like to be as smart as Tommy Pothrow, which I couldn't be, and I'd like to be as intense in preparation as George Allen was, and I tried to put all those things together <laughs> into one. I mean, to go from Stanford as an assistant coach for only one season to becoming an assistant coach in the NFL, that was unheard of back then. Well, I was fortunate. The track coach at uh, Stanford University, the great Peyton Jordan, uh, was a good friend of George Allen's, and he recommended me to George Allen. And I, I interviewed with George, and they gave me the job. Because there were there were no special teams coaches back then, and you were the first one. I was the first guy, yes. How did that come about? How did George decide that he needed just a coach for special teams? Or did you sell yourself well, on that? No. Uh, the year before, his, the year before, they'd lost a playoff game because of a kickoff return for a touchdown. So they spent the offseason evaluating all the kickoff returns and found out there were certain guys in coverage that never made a tackle the entire year. And if they'd have been evaluating that every week like they do the offense and defense, maybe they would have made the changes or coached them up to make a tackle. So he decided, I need somebody to be, you know, uh, scrutinizing the details of NFL kicking game preparation. And that's when he hired me. What was George like to work for? Fun. I enjoyed him. I enjoyed him. He was very, very detailed in preparation. He had a lot of funny mannerisms, uh, very bright. Uh, was always happier when the defense won the game than when the offense won the game. But as long as you won, he was happy. And then when you lost, like he said, you know, I remember him saying so many times, you know, losing is worse than death because you have to get up the next morning. <laughs> How could he enjoy the offense more than the defense with that fearsome foursome? Well, no, he enjoyed the defense. Oh, oh the defense more. I got yeah. you. Excuse me. Yeah. 
But you had a pretty good quarterback then. I mean, John Oh, Tatum. Roman Gabriel. Or Roman Gabriel. Roman Gabriel for, yeah, with him. Oh, Roman Gabriel's NFL Player of the Year. Oh, he's a fine football player. I learned a lot from him. I really did. He's another guy who should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's tough. You know, there are so many good ones right now that it makes it tough. And uh, But one day maybe he will be given that opportunity because he was a real good player. And then you went to UCLA, and then you went back to the Rams as the assistant right. coach. Right. No, I went back to the Rams as a head coach. Oh, I mean, as oh, a head coach. excuse me, yes. Yeah. No, excuse me. You're going all the way back. Thank right. you for your preparation. <laughs> yes. Yes. So back in- I went to UCLA to be, work for Tommy Prothrow because as a young assistant at Stanford, I had admired the coaching job that Prothrow had done at UCLA with what I thought was just very average talent with the exception of a few skilled guys. And he'd win anyway. And I wanted to find out how he did it. And fortunately, I did. When you went back to the Rams as an assistant coach in 71, was that a big change or was that pretty much like just going home again? No, it was a big change for me because I went from being the special teams coach to offensive coordinator, and I really wasn't qualified to do that. But Coach Prothrow had never been in the NFL before, so he didn't he didn't know I wasn't qualified. I helped to get him fired. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot, but I, I really, as I look back now and see, I didn't have the experience uh, to do a great job for him, and I've always felt a little guilty about that. Well. What do you mean by experience? You didn't know how to call the plays or you didn't know how to deal no, with the players? No, I just hadn't, I hadn't run an NFL offense. I hadn't been the boss of an NFL offense before. So I, I had been in college, but it was a big difference between college and NFL in those days. And then you became the UCLA head coach in 74. And you took right. over. That program, I mean, it was a story program for years. Back then it wasn't the Pac-10, it was what, the Pac-8 still? Right. Yeah, and uh, anyway, it was a great opportunity. And the reason I got the job that I'd been there one year with Prothrow as his offensive coordinator, and then he went to the Rams as head coach, and I went with him. But the, the exposure to UCLA and the people uh, uh, there uh, gave me the opportunity to go back there and be the head coach. I'm there two years. We win the Rose Bowl, and I go to the Eagles as head coach. So, you know, it was a good decision and a good opportunity. Your wife had to be ready to kill you all this jumping around. Almost. <laughs> Almost. I mean, it's got to be she hard voted on the not family. to go. I know that she voted not to leave Napa College when I was in JC coaching. She voted not to leave UCLA when I was in college coaching. So anyway, uh, it worked out. Now, when you got the head coaching job with the Eagles, that team hadn't won in 16, 17 years since Chuck Benarek was there. Was that tough? Well, it was very tough initially, you know. But you know, I thought I had a process that would work and. Uh, at that time, you could sign as many kids as you wanted to. At that time, you could stay on the field as long as you wanted to. At that time, you could wear pads as long as you have to. You, uh, you think that a, a squad needs it, the individual players need it. And if we built our program around hard work and free agents, and we didn't have any draft choices the first three years, or no first and seconds. So uh, we went from there, and it, it turned out real well. And I have some lifelong friends uh, that I coached uh, then that are still friends today. You had an underrated quarterback in Ron Jaworski. How easy did he make it on you, coaching him? He came on strong. It took him a year to get going, just like it did me to get going. And uh, uh, once he got going, he gradually improved. And I brought Sid Gilman in to help me improve everybody, let alone Ron Jaworski, but improved me and my coaching staff. And he really helped us all. And we all got better. We went to a Super Bowl and got beat. You stole Sid Gilman, though, from the Bears. The Bears had him for that one year. And Every former Bear player I talked in 77 on their team said that guy was an offensive genius. He knew no how to question. run an offense. 
No question. In fact, uh, you know that he is in the Hall of Fame already. But uh, you see a lot of things that I watch a game on Sunday. The three or four games that I see on Sunday, you see a lot of Sid Gilman. What made him such a good coach? Bright, very very bright. Uh, passion for the game, uh, passion to detail, passion for fundamental teaching, uh, passion for organization, and uh, and a strong leader. Do you think he was the biggest influence on you as a coach? Well, certainly one of them. I know. Once I got into pro ball as a head coach, he was the biggest. What did he teach you? Well, he taught me to open up my thinking. He said I was I, I was too concerned about uh, preventing people from scoring and should think more about scoring. <laughs> and uh, he said I he said I was the most defensive offensive coach he'd ever been around and he helped me open my thinking up because I I was too afraid to lose and not aggressive enough to win and it, it, he influenced me that way and my whole staff when the Eagles finally turned it around and you made that Super Bowl how did that make you feel well I was proud of the fact that we did it the hard way the old-fashioned way with just hard work I was proud of the fact that the entire organization in the building, we all won together. For everybody shared in our success, and it was not just me, the head coach, or the coordinator. Or it was the entire organization, and a lot of those people are still friends of mine. In fact, I just had a phone call from one of them a little while ago. When you beat the Cowboys to make that Super Bowl, they had to be special because they were America's team back then. Yeah, well, no, I never voted for them. <laughs> you weren't a big Cowboy fan. No, not at all. I get a kick out of them calling the Americans fan. If any team should be the Americans team, should be in Philadelphia. That's where they signed the Constitution. You know, come on. Exactly. But anyway, they they are a great organization, and nobody does it much better. What made you decide to retire after the '82 season? Well, I, I turned a passion into an obsession, and it, I drove myself into a hole emotionally and physically that I, I the only way I could get out of it was to take a break. I hadn't planned to be out 14 years. I'd planned to be out one year, maybe two, and then try to get back in. But the, I got a job broadcasting. I enjoyed it. It paid me twice as much money as I was making as a coach because in those days they didn't pay coaches very much money. And uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, it kept me close to the game and the people in the game. And uh, But uh, I, I left there because the passion became an obsession. And I just I couldn't turn it off. What do you mean by this obsession? The long hours or just everything? No, had to be I just perfect? couldn't turn it off. And you know, when, when you start uh, not handling a loss well, it, it affects you not preparing your team well to play the next game after the loss. And I, that's a spiral down, and that's what I was doing. Doug Buffone mentioned that to play football, you got to have like a Neanderthal gene. Do you need a similar gene to coach? Well, I, I don't know. You know, uh, those kind of guys were Neanderthal players. Boy, they're, they're the heart of the game. And I'm not, don't certainly put myself in that category. But uh, I love to teach. I love to, to, uh, I love relationships and coaching. I love the details of the game. I love the numbers. Uh, and the only way to do it is be a coach. You mentioned that the practices, you, and there was no limits on how much you practiced, what you did. No. Do you think that today's game is hurt by that? No question. The only thing is you're all working under the same standards. But now it, it's a losing team can't work harder to catch up with a winning team that's already winning. That's a big disadvantage, I think. Yeah, because you don't see the tackling. I'm mean, used to have the tackling dummies, the certain drills. Now there's no contact in these practices or maybe once a week. And these players. Sometimes it looks like, yeah, sometimes it looks like dancing with the stars. But, uh, 
there, you know, there's more to the game than just contact in scrimmage. But uh, anyway, I just feel it, it hurts the development of the average to below average player. It hurts the development of the possible free agent. Uh, it hurts the, the development of your whole squad if you weren't good enough in the first place. It boils it down to you just better have better players than the other guy and then do a good job with the time you're allotted. It almost looks like arena football nowadays. No, no, no. It's it's good football, believe me. The game last night was, you know, one team was played outstanding and the other team played poorly, and uh, so the Eagles blow them out. But it was a, a great display of good coaching and football. This West Coast offense just seems to stand withstand the test of time. Is there a reason for that? Well, you know, the West Coast offense is not today what it was when Bill Walsh really installed it and got it going. It's a conglomeration of everybody. Everyone has the volume of offense today is so much greater than it used to be. Everybody includes what somebody else does well, you know, for the most part. Did you ever have any opportunities to go back to coaching between leaving the Eagles and going to the Rams? Yeah, I was out 14 years. Uh, 13 of the 14 years out, I, I talked to different teams about going back. They, they called and inquired if I was interested. It had to be really tempting. Was there a reason you didn't want to do it? I was a little afraid of myself, and I didn't want to find myself in the same hole I was in when I left. And so that was it, and broadcasting was fun. Well, then what changed to make you decide to go to the Rams? I got to the, well, the Rams, I knew people there, and they'd offered me the job every time it was open, <laughs> and I didn't take it, and so I knew they were sincere, and I felt at the age that I did go back, if I didn't go back then, it would be too late. Was there kind of like some kind of um, thought, you know what, the Rams gave me my first chance back in L.A., and you know what, I might as well go there because they're kind of like my family? Well, a little bit, yeah. You know, I, I felt a, 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 a sincere interest in me for a long period of time. Uh, I, I felt uh, that they would do what they could to help me be successful, even though I'd been out. And I felt that they would back me in every way, and they did. You had a couple rough seasons with the Rams, and then it all turned around with when you made Kurt Warner the starting quarterback. Did you realize? Well, it, turned, it gradually turned around within those first two years. But not so much on the scoreboard, but the football team kept getting better. The players kept getting better. They were working as hard as they were. Then we put it all together the third year when Mike Martz came in and ran the offense for us. And Al Saunders came in and John Masco came in and they, you know, they added and made a great contribution to the overall team. But it was a three year project, not a, not a one year. Was Coach Martz similar to, uh, Sid Gilman? Oh, yes. He was a young Sid Gilman. What made him so successful? Well, he had a philosophy, a belief, uh, teaching skills, very bright, handled pressure well, uh, communicated well with the players as an assistant, and uh, uh, just did a fantastic job. How did Kurt Warner compare to Ron Jaworski as a quarterback? Well, probably, you know, the offenses were different, so it's hard to compare. We gave Kurt Warner more opportunities to look good as a quarterback than we gave Ron. More uh, pattern, team patterns and, and less individual routes and these kinds of things. It, more complex passing game. But they compared, I think, all, in the long run, maybe uh, Kurt was just a little more accurate overall in a variety of throws. It just seemed like you had so many weapons to use when you had that Rams team. You had Warner, you had Marshall Falk, yeah. you had Isaac Bruce. 
Torrey Holt. You were just loaded. It had to be tough to get those guys the ball enough. Well, you know, when when you're a true team, ego doesn't interfere. All they want to do is win. And it takes time to build that that kind of atmosphere, that kind of attitude. And my staff and myself, we were fortunate and we were able to do that. I hear a lot of people say that a coach is only as good as their his assistant coaches. Do you agree with that? Yes, I agree with it. But it's your head coach's job to make sure the assistant coaches are good. It's your head coach's job to make sure that the environment's right. The assistant, the head coach's job to the, the, to bring a process of leadership and uh, to a team. The overall organization is the head coach's responsibility, and you you delegate, then you lead, and you teach. When you go to put a staff together, how do you decide who you're going to hire? Do you go to people you work with before? Do you talk to other coaches? Or well, you- I, I used I used other coaches as much as anything that I knew and trusted. I used Bill Walsh a lot. He used me a lot. I used you know I used people that had a lot of experience that I know that had been there. I'd watched them coach. I watched some of them coach when I was in television. Then you went to the Chiefs following your retirement after the Super Bowl. With that Chiefs team, did you use the same philosophy? Yes. Not quite as intense. Uh, I didn't start out as tough. I started out the Rams. Uh, but uh, it was a great experience, a great five years, and I'm glad I did it. My third-year team was a great team. The third, fourth, and fifth year were all good teams. We didn't win as many games as we should have the fourth year. We won ten games the, the fifth year and didn't go to the playoffs. Similar to Lovey Smith here with the Bears a couple yeah. of years ago. I think it's... Yeah. I think it's tough being a coach, but again, you did something with three organizations. You took organizations that were down, built them up, took them to Super Bowls or to the playoffs here, and you did your job. Well, you know, there's a difference between building a team and coaching a team. A lot of people are fortunate to inherit a team that's already got personnel and, and all the positions required to really be successful. Another team you take over, they were losing because they didn't have them, and it's your job to locate them, build them, and coach them. And that's a little tougher. That doesn't mean a guy uh, should be punished for taking over a team that had more players on it for, for one reason or another. They didn't win. But uh, it's a little tougher when you have to build it. Who was the best player you ever coached? Probably Marshall Falk and Kurt Warner. What made them so good? Was it just the talent or they just had the mentality? A combination of everything. When you're a Hall of Fame player, it's just a combination of everything. And they're Hall of Fame players. Marshall's already in there and Kurt will be next. What about you? Do you think you're going in sometime? I've been nominated. You know, I'm always nominated. That doesn't mean I'm going to go in. I did what I was supposed to do as a football coach the best I could do. And and if that, uh, if that, uh, moves me into the category of a Hall of Fame, I'll accept it. Uh, but I think there are other guys like, uh, my gosh, Chuck Knox. I, I think Don Coriel, those kind of guys, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Dan Reeves. Uh, uh, hey, they probably did a better job than I did, but it's not. I'm not in charge of re- uh, evaluating that. I hope I get in. It would be great. But I don't, not, not necessarily one of these guys walking around think I deserve it. Another guy is Tom Flores. I don't understand that either, why he's not in. Well, one reason is it's just, you know, every team prior to him taking over was a winning team. They've been winning 70% of their games all the way before John Madden ever took over. So all I had to do was keep them doing it and be lucky enough to win a playoff game at a critical time and go. And they did a great job. He hell, he beat my ass. And I hope he gets in. I hope he gets in. But, you know, I think people that vote recognize those kind of things. 
Who do you think the best player you ever saw play was? Oh, I, I think of Reggie White and then Lawrence Taylor. The two of those is a flip a coin. If there's one thing you could change about your career, what would you change? I would have listened when I was a head coach at the Eagles and toned down my temperament, my intensity, and my emotions so I wouldn't have had to walk away from a very, very good job. But it has to be tough because those Eagle fans are probably the most intense fans there are in football. Well, they're they're intense, but they're really good, too. That does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to thank our guest, Gene Stallings, Dick Vermeil. Also, would like to thank our executive producer, Dave Olson. Tune in again next time to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Sports and Torts.